All right, and welcome everybody to episode 34 of the Unified Rules of Podcast. Here are your hosts as usual, Edmund Kwan and Eric Hamidi. How are you doing today, Edmund? Doing pretty good, man. Okay, you? okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, busy, but I'm in good spirits and things are going well so far. So it's, uh, you know, it's a good day to record. Yeah, I mean, that's good. I'm filled with optimism too. Good way to start the week. The reason why we're recording today, as you can imagine, we're talking about UFC 274. And I guess it's a little interesting because going into this recording, I was sort of thinking, how do we want to talk about the event? Because the way that I see it is that there were some things that were very memorable, and then there were some things that were very uneventful. So I, I don't know what's the best approach for this. I I think I feel like it was a good split in the middle between memorable and disappointment for the well, main card. Well, yeah, because I mean, when you look at it, it's sort of along the lines because you had something exciting happening. Then you or if we want to be really technical, you have sort of a not as entertaining fight. Then you have an exciting finish that happens after that. Then you have a lackluster title fight and then you have an exciting main event it's just so crazy and i don't know it's uh, it, that's actually a good way to put it it was a split basically yeah god i mean the the one thing that i will say is that it it i mean i was i was disappointed about the fact that joe Lozon and donald cerrone weren't fighting because that yeah you know, i kind of wanted to see how that prediction turned out or what have you and but I mean, it just didn't happen because Cerrone got food poisoning and then you had Chaos Williams versus Randy Brown. There's not really a whole lot I can say about that because that wasn't part of the main card. So we didn't do a prediction for that. Plus, I was kind of getting things ready to post during the Canelo fight and the UFC card. So couldn't really pay too much attention to that. So I don't really have much to say about it. Yeah, I don't really have much to say on that either. A... It wasn't part of the main card B. I didn't watch the event live. Mm -hmm. So I kind of. Well, just just for the record, it was the main card. It was on the yeah. main card because when. Well, yeah. You mean originally. Originally. Yeah. OK, OK, I get you. I get you. Yeah, I mean. The one thing, you know what, I, I guess I'll just say this and the, I'm happy that I just thought this because the thing that I thought about with this episode is I'll just say the biggest takeaways that I have from the fights that happened. They announced that Joe Lozon, Donald Cerrone, that bout was canceled and all that. And then they they have the camera on the commentary team, John Anik, Joe Rogan, Daniel Cormier. And then Joe Rogan phrases it as, oh, that was a loser leaves town match, sort of borrowing from the pro wrestling model. And then you had Daniel Cormier laugh after that. And... It seemed, okay, I guess, okay. I'm going to be as nice about this as possible or give a little bit of a benefit of the doubt as much as possible because I don't want to come off as too critical or maybe Daniel Cormier was thinking about something else when Joe Rogan said that or what have you. But why, as, as a commentary team that works for the UFC, why are you making light of it with two guys who are on the, on at the end of their career and if they do end up getting cut after this, that's a source of income that they're going to lose. 
And if you're working for the company, I feel like as an employee, maybe you shouldn't have that sort of lighthearted approach. And then furthermore, it's kind of like, why is Daniel Cormier laughing about that? Am I like making too much out of it, Edmund? I'd, I'd have to watch the clip to get the full context of it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, just from hearing that, I'd have to imagine probably... Cormier is just laughing at the ridiculousness of that scenario, you mm -hmm. know? Okay. Like a loser leaves town. Like, come on. We're, we're all, all adults. Like you said, we're all professionals. It's, I mean, it's just business. Like business in the sense of like, if they, if the Joe Lozon Donald Cerrone fight did happen and they decide they want to cut one of them, then right. they can do that is what you're right. saying. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's okay. just part of the game as a fighter. And I, I don't know. I, I'd have to watch that clip you were talking about just because I didn't see it. And Cormier doesn't strike me as a kind of guy who would just... I don't know, kind of and, and, make you know... fun or laugh at someone in a bad position you know yeah so. and and th this is why i'm really throwing the disclaimer and i'm not coming out here just being like oh f daniel Cormier and all that other stuff i'm i'm i don't want to do that and i do want to give my respects it's just i guess what kind of troubles me is the timing of it because i mean the way it looks is like okay joe rogan says loser leaves town and then daniel Cormier's laughing about that and it's i mean if Joe Lozon or Donald Cerrone were to get cut after that fight, had it happened, which I don't know if they would have, but that's a serious matter. And I don't know, as I, I guess I sort of relay it to sometimes when people on ESPN trash the UFC fighters, it's kind of along the lines of if you're a broadcast partner for the UFC, maybe you need to take a little bit of a different approach when talking about them, assessing their skills, be a little more respectful, not just totally throwing them under the bus. That That's kind of along the lines of what I'm thinking. I hear you. But also, it's... It sells. What, it as sells far as the views. outlandish... You mean like the outlandish yeah, commentary outlandish or something? outlandish commentary, outlandish headlines. Mm -hmm. That gets people's attention. Mm -hmm. That's just... In a way, sports news is another form of entertainment for a lot of people. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of money in sports, but it really is just entertainment for us, you know, for the, the fans and the audience. So, yeah. I, don't I mean, I, I do get it. I mean, like, I do get that it's okay. The more outlandish you are, the more it's going to get talked about. But I don't know. I just... There's something about it where I feel as though if you're an analyst for the company, the UFC, or you're an analyst for the station that airs the product, I don't know. It just, I don't know if reverence is the right word. I don't know if it's saying that you should have more reverence for the fighters is the right word, but I don't know. It's just, I don't feel like you should say, Oh, this guy fought like crap, or this guy doesn't know how to step up on the big moments. Or just, I guess, being a little more analytical and, I guess, understanding of the conditions that sort of plague fighters needs to be taken into account when you're talking about them, I suppose. Yeah, but Daniel Cormier understands. 
he's been in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Know? Yeah. I I just I I see what you're saying, but to me, I don't think just having. I I, I feel like the team needs to balance them out, and Daniel Cormier doesn't strike me as like the numbers guy in that group. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. You mean like giving the stats or what have you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to provide the colorful commentary from his perspective of being a former fighter, being a former champ. You but know? he does he does do a good job of breaking down the the techniques of for instance when a fighter's going for a takedown and stuff like that. So right. he does provide good input on that as far as breaking down the techniques that fighters use because he's a former fighter himself. But that's I, I I don't I don't feel like that's like a totally objective thing, you know. He's still giving it from his perspective. Well, yeah, but I mean, as far as like sharing some insight into what goes into a strike or takedown yeah. or yeah. footwork and all the, all that stuff, that's what I mean. No, I yeah, I, I get that. I mean, but... I I guess I guess I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm just being too much or making too much out of this but i just sort of think like okay if there is the possibility of one of the fighters in the company you work for who may get cut after this should the fight happen it's kind of like that's no laughing matter yeah but again it, it's like entertainment news uh-huh. people are just gonna add a little spin on it just to make it a little more entertaining mm-hmm. to to the casual viewer you know what i mean yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's, I, I, I guess. I mean, like, if you think about it, all the fighters in the UFC, they're athletes, but they're also like celebrities in their own right. Like, they are people. But again, it's like the fact that you're famous and you're well known puts you at a different level. Where there are like people are allowed to kind of make light of whatever weird situation you may be in that's just like because comes, you're a public figure you mean yeah it comes with the job mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i mean i see what you're saying but again these aren't they're it, it, it's part of their job is just to take the criticism mm-hmm. whether someone says it in a joking matter or not yeah, that's not really relevant in your opinion. Right. Uh-huh. Because they still perform. I, I, I kind of see this as like, you know, <laughs> the Chris Rock Will Smith thing at the Oscars. like Which is literally the only thing people talk about those uh, this year's Oscars. I know. But but the fact that Jada Pinkett Smith or, or, or Will Smith couldn't even take a joke about being bald and a gi jane joke like that was it in poor taste yeah maybe was it absurdly offensive to warrant like a violent retaliation like that probably not you know what i mean it's like i i mean i'm sure there have been worse things said on twitter Mm -hmm. on instagram comments on youtube comments i don't know I, i feel like as a celebrity, you should have thicker skin to be able to handle that. Not not to say like people making those comments or jokes are right or they should be able to, but 
it comes with a job. And if you don't like it, that's fine. Just get off social media. Anyways, but I, I mean, all I this think to say, I, I mean, all, yeah, sorry, sorry, go. I'm just like, all this to say, I, I don't think it was that big of a deal to me. Mm hmm. I mean, and I, I just want to make that clear for our listeners. I'm not in a big uproar about it. I'm not trying to make a huge fuss out of it. It's just one of those, I don't know. It just, I guess I say that because I try to be understanding of the situation that they're in. And that's not really the approach that I would have taken or just there's a certain type of, I guess, way that you need to handle yourself if you're working for the company that the fighters are a part of and just having that appreciation of the things that they go through but at the same time it's not overly offensive and i that's why i constantly say maybe there was something that daniel cormier was thinking about or what you're saying as far as their personality so they have to do a little bit of that during the broadcast yeah, and i think everything's kept like kind of lighthearted and fun just so like the audience can have a good experience too yeah but yeah i, I don't know <laughs> Well, I think that's about, yeah, I mean, I think that's about enough things that we can say about a fight that didn't even happen on the card. It was just, honestly, it was just a thought that I wanted to share about that. And just, I don't know, I guess, I guess part of my thinking with that is kind of the things that I hear about analysts talking about the kinds of things that fighters go through. And just a lot of times they get the short end of the stick. And uh, I don't know, it just, they're, they're, their livelihoods are not meant to be trivialized because fighting is uh it's no joke being a prize fighter is no joke but in any event the second fight that happened on the main card this is one of the fights that was not really all that eventful we had ovin st prude defeating shogun hua by a split decision and i guess the biggest takeaway that i have about that and this is something that this is a really big takeaway for me is that it was not a very exciting fight, but I think there was a little bit more action than the Carla Esparza Rose Namajunas fight. But and, and also here's the other thing. It, it's it's sort of along the lines of Shogun is a 40-year-old man who's been through the wars that he has, and his body has been through such a physical like there's such a physical toll. What the hell is the word I'm trying to use for that, or that I'm trying to use to describe it? He's been through wars and his body is so beaten up and he's 40 years old. What did you, oh, and on top of all that, in the first fight between him and OSP, Shogun kind of rushed it and the fight ended quickly. So given all those things, what did you expect from Shogun? I, or just what did you expect was going to happen? So the fact that Shogun was taking a more reserved approach for the fact of how their first fight went and how his body is, it didn't surprise me that he was more reserved. Yeah. And I don't think you can take a reserved approach when your opponent is just bigger than you. Why do you, you say know, that? He, well, he's got the reach. He's got the size. He's got the power. Yeah. If you're just going to sit back and not do anything, then he's literally just going to punch you, hit you a couple times, and just win on points, which is exactly what OSP did. 
Yeah, but um, I mean, can you blame Shogun for taking the approach that he can? I mean, what no. I'm sort what I'm sort of talking about is there's the mental aspect of their first fight, how it ended by first round knockout, a little over thirty seconds into it, and then there's also the physical capabilities. Is that he's been through the ringer? He's forty and he's had all those hard fights, so he can't push the pace like he did when he was in his twenties. Here's my opinion, and I mean. I listened to a podcast interview with George St. Pierre before watching all these events, but I don't think Shogun's just mentally there anymore as like a champion caliber fighter. Well, he did do an interview last week where he was saying that after this OSP fight, he's just going to, he has one more fight on his contract and then that's going to be it. Yeah. I, I'm just, it's almost like Lethal Weapon, Donald Glover's character. He He's ready for retirement. He's going to play it safe. Mm. That's kind of like the vibe I get, you know? it's It just felt like a really safe spar. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I guess my thought about the fight was that I wasn't surprised that Shogun came in a little more reserved in the first round. But I thought as the fight went on and there's less time, then Shogun would start picking it up. Like, I thought going into the third round, then since there's only five minutes left, Shogun's going to let it go a little bit more. But then that never ended up happening. Yeah. He's just past it. I don't think he's got mentally, especially with all his, all his experience and all that, it, it's... I think he's just trying to preserve his health whatever health he has left so he can just retire and enjoy the rest of life again this is just I mean, my I mean, opinion either, either that or i wonder if it's like one of those things where okay this was the second to last fight on his ufc contract so when he goes into his next fight which is his last fight is he gonna throw it out there a little bit more or is he gonna be a little more aggressive because hey this is my last fight Maybe, but I don't see, unless he wins his next fight in a dramatic fashion, I, I really don't see the UFC keeping him around for too long. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. What I mean is that whatever well, yeah. whatever his next fight is, that's it. So what I'm saying is, like, do you think Shogun to, like, go out with a bang and because there's no other fights after this, okay, I'll put it all on the line, take my risks or what have you? I don't think so. Okay, okay. And you're just saying that because of the statement or the, the belief that you already have as far as preserving his body for for after his professional career. Yeah, I mean, just listening to George St. Pierre talk about why he retired and how he's never going to come back, even though sometimes he wants to, it, it just makes sense. It's just they're so reaching a an age where... Mentally, they're not going to take as many risks because they want to preserve they, their bodies. Yeah, they want to preserve their bodies. Mm -hmm. They're not young anymore. Like, if Shogun were to win this fight and do it all over, he'd have to be like a hundred times more aggressive and really push that pace and take a lot of risks in Which, either taking yeah. down OSP or knocking him out or outstriking him. Which, as we sort of talked about, is that 
whether because of physical qualities or mental uh, I think it's aspects. more mental. Yeah, I, I mean, think it's more mental. I well, think he's at an age where he's just like, yeah, I've done that before. Doesn't feel good the next couple of days. I'm not going to push it. Well, there. I meant you like know? mental. I meant either it's that physically he's not able to do it or mentally just given the fact that when he fought this guy the first time, he, he, he was too reckless and it ended by knockout in the first round. So that's what I'm saying as far as that mental aspect of not being able to be more aggressive in that fight like maybe that was the thing about it i think it's that i mean he looked physically pretty good mm -hmm. yeah i mean I, I mean as as good as someone his age can be yeah and and, and i i don't know i i guess i guess there's a it seems like maybe we're sort of on we have two different opinions as far as the mental aspect of what shogun was dealing with in that fight against osp well, he just, he didn't have that killer instinct. He didn't have that killer drive that he used to have when he was young. I do think the booing from the crowd was a little, I mean, I don't know. I get it from a sort of, okay, you want to see an entertaining fight aspect, but dude, Shogun has done so much for the sport. He's a legend. He's had so many great fights. It just seemed a little unnecessary to boo this guy because of the things that I'm saying as far as what he's dealing with, how he's limited. It's kind of like, have a little bit of realistic expectations. Yeah. I don't know. I, I need to see how they promoted this thing, but I feel like the booing probably comes from a lot of not newer fans, but probably fans who didn't see him way back in the day. I mean, and I have realized that the man's 20 years older than, you know, he's been fighting for almost 20. Yeah. And he's been fighting yeah. for almost 20 years. It's, it's yeah, sort of like, like, it's sort of like, okay, if you're expecting a barn burner from this uh, 40 year old guy who's been fighting for 20 years, eh, I got bad news for you. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like that's a lot of, if you were booing Shogun or that fight in general, that specific fight, okay, we'll talk about another fight later on. Right, right. Which, which, which I think deserved booing, but which, which sort of adds on to the point. I guess I'll, I'll sort of give a preview for that because something you have to keep in mind that was sort of the case in this fight, but especially this was a factor in the, the Strawway title fight is just the fact that. Fighters, their first priority is to win a fight. I mean, sure, if there's a real back and forth competitive bout, it's entertaining, but it's not at the forefront of these fighters' minds. First and foremost, what they're trying to do is win. So I think there needs to be a little bit of consideration about that. Just the fact that, okay, this is a sport. It's not, for instance, like professional wrestling where they're trying to put on an entertaining match. The first priority priority they need to do is win. And I don't know. I, I think that should, I, I, think, you should, I, I okay. think you should keep okay. that in mind a little bit. I agree with you there, but it's like, did it look like Shogun was really trying to win? Like really, really trying to win? That is a good question. It didn't look, he was looking to play it safe to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with his age. He's much older. He's probably in a better place in terms of like 
his personal life and like finances and stability. It's like, why risk it all when he's only got a couple fights left or one fight left on his contract and he might be looking to retire soon. So, yeah, I mean, he wasn't looking to win. I, I just, I don't know. Either that or maybe he wasn't willing to do anything reckless or dangerous to try to win. It's like, okay, I'm going to do it's this. Like, and... If you're fighting someone who's bigger than you, you need to do stuff like that to win. And if you're not doing that, then you're not really trying. Yeah, that's that's my opinion on that, you know? Yeah, it, it's... yeah. It seems like it was a combination of physical and mental stuff. Definitely, definitely. I, I, mean... I want to say it's more mental than physical. Because he looked good. He looked pretty healthy. And I think probably he just couldn't pull the trigger on it for whatever reason. Maybe... He doesn't feel the need to. I, I don't know what it is, but I think just mentally, at least for his like his age mentally, I don't think he's got that killer instinct in, anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, maybe, but he's definitely at the end of his career. And I don't know, I guess depending on who he gets matched up with in his next fight, we'll kind of see what kind of approach he takes with that. And I don't know, we'll only... We have no idea who that person is going to be, so we can only speculate or kind of really consider that when the time comes. But in any event, then we move on to the third fight on the main card, Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. We predicted Michael Chandler was going to win that fight. He did. That wasn't really so much a surprise to myself. The one thing that I will say is that Based on what I've seen and what people are saying, Tony Ferguson was actually doing good in the first round. I don't know how yeah. exactly you would score it, but he was being competitive. He was he was hanging in there and 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 he wasn't being dominated basically. Yeah, he looked really active. He was fighting. He was fighting to win. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I think that kind of helps as far as saying that Michael Chandler got a quality win over somebody because Tony came in there to fight. He competed well and he performed well. So it's it's not like Michael Chandler just went in there and all the rounds were like 10 eights or something like that. No, I mean, yeah. Just, but I mean, what it doesn't... a KO. I mean, first yeah. of all, what a KO. Yeah. The front kick. Yeah. You know? And I love the freeze frame and the memes people are posting online of that. Really? Because, well, dude, that's just how freaking hard he hit Tony Ferguson with that front kick. Man. Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm not really, and I don't know, this, this kind of, I guess this kind of goes with the sort of approach that I have or how I view MMA fighters is that I know there's a lot of, I guess, jokes and concentration about the 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 frame of when the kick landed and there's jokes being made about it i'm i don't really like doing that with fighters because i don't think anyone's laughing at eh, him it's just eh. it's just like when you take a picture and your eyes are accidentally closed it's kind of funny no sometimes. i think there's i mean there's like legit i mean it's to varying degrees but people are making jokes about that 
I mean, if yes, there's always going to be the few assholes that make fun of a fighter for losing. Mm-hmm. Like what I'm Who saying. Who cares is that... about those people? But I don't I mean, know. Like I, I'm just saying. I, I I mean I'm just saying that I'm not one of those people that, for instance, is going to take the picture of Frankie Edgar's face when he was front kicked by Marlon Vera. I'm not going to make fun of somebody for that. That's just not my style. And I think people were making fun of Tony Ferguson because especially yeah. like the reaction after the fight, everyone's like, Tony Ferguson is back. That's the reaction. Really? You've been seeing that more than anything else? I mean, something along the lines of that, like Tony Ferguson did a great job. Which you is know? sort of- which He is was so, fighting. Which is sort of interesting that you say that because well, before I get into that, one thing I will say is that one person who has been kind of making jokes about Tony Ferguson's face is Conor McGregor. He was making posts yeah, about... Yeah, but he, he, he is that asshole that will, like, laugh at anybody for anything. Huh. He's that part of the population that... Okay, so you know exactly... Cares? So you know exactly what I'm talking about, then. I don't because a I don't really follow Conor McGregor just because again he's a troll, right? He's an asshole. I don't I don't need that negativity in my life, you know? Right, right. Okay, okay. I don't mind if like even for me, like if someone found a weird looking funny picture of me and then like posted it out on Facebook as a meme, I laugh, you know. Mm. I'm learning like, things about your personality this episode, Edmund. Yeah, but it, it, you can't take everything too seriously. You can't, not everything's just offensive or not offensive. Sometimes you got to be able to laugh at yourself or laugh at the situation. It, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to like go off on a tangent too much. But yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I that was point just is one like, thing I wanted to mention. Yeah, the point is though, Tony Ferguson did great. If you're that asshole who's laughing at him because he looked goofy when he's getting his face kicked, come on, man. Like, let's see you eat a kick in the face and like... Which is part of the thing is that like, hey, let's see you get kicked in the face and let's see how your face looks when that happens if we right. take a photo of that. Dude, and you know what? My face will probably look ridiculous. And if someone can grab a great freeze frame of that, do it. I want to see it too. That's just my opinion. If that were to happen to me now, sorry, was there something else that you wanted to say about that? No, it's just, I want to talk about the fight, you know? Right. I, I right. Don't... Which, which funny thing about that fight. I remember because for that, for that event, I was posting for UFC 274 and the Canelo versus Bivol fight. So I was having some connection issues when that fight happened. So I missed most of the first round and then I wanted to make a post during that fight. So I'm working on that and I go to like flip the light switch in my room. And then right as I'm getting up to do that, I'm looking at the light switch. I hear the, on the TV there, the crowd's going, Oh, whatever. And then I just turn and I'm all like, Oh shit, Tony's on the ground. And I was pissed off that I missed it because I missed most of the first round. I missed how the fight ended. I'll be honest. It makes me feel a little bit better that I wasn't the only one because Daniel Cormier 
when he was on commentary, he said that he was looking at Joe and then he heard the reaction. He turned and he's like, I missed it. There was another website that I came across that was called MMANews.com talking about UFC 274. And in that article, he's when he talks about Chandler versus Ferguson, he says, my initial thought was, fuck, I missed it. I don't think I'll ever forgive myself for checking the time a second before Michael Chandler channeled his inner Anderson Silva. Nevertheless, the replays quickly came and showed wide-eyed look up to an unconscious Tony Ferguson face down on the canvas. So it's kind of like when I'm seeing stuff like that, it kind of makes me feel a little bit better that, okay, I wasn't the only one that missed that moment. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I guess in a way I missed it because I didn't watch these live, but yeah, you know. I mean, it's just like one of those things like, damn, like of all the moments I could have see, that's why when I'm watching MMA bouts, I like to just, I don't know. It's almost as if I just keep my eyes glued to the screen because I know the fight can end at any second. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the appeal of this sport, but exactly. So, so to back to finally get back on track, as far as you saying that Tony Ferguson looked good, I'm happy that you said that because that's something that I wanted to point out is that. I've seen some people talk about, okay, this is sad for Tony Ferguson and there's been talks of, okay, should he retire and all that stuff, but I'm not sure if it's quite as doom and gloom as people are making it out to be. Oh, I don't think so. I think I'm he's, I, I know he was in a slump and I think, I mean, this, this fight just showed that there's a glimmer of, Tony Ferguson being back. Yeah. Because that first round, he was throwing bombs. He was active. He was aggressive. He drove Michael Chandler back. He was times. He, he like, was active on his back. No, no, no. Like he was active on his feet. And then he drove. No, no, no. Michael but Tony, I'm saying when when Tony Ferguson, like when oh, Michael yeah, yeah. Chandler on finally the, got yeah. the takedown. Yeah. Yeah. When he finally got the takedown. And he was active on his back. And that's that's the thing about it. I think if Tony Ferguson came out and he looked slow or hesitant to throw, then it would be a little bit of a different conversation as far as, okay, should Tony Ferguson retire? But the fact that he was able to do that to Michael Chandler, be competitive, and in some ways still perform well, I don't know if we can officially close the door on Tony Ferguson. I mean... No. He's yeah. not, I mean, like, he, he is in a slump because it's four losses in a row. And it's not a great position to be in as far as his age and where he's at in his career. But I don't know. It seemed like, for instance, when Dana White was at the post-fight press conference, he's basically praising Tony Ferguson. And I think that's a key thing right there. When you have Dana White, who's the boss of the company, singing Tony Ferguson's praise, it's it's a good sign, I think. I mean there he did say that he feels like tony needs to take some time off because he got knocked out but i don't know i don't think i have some friends who are basically sort of along the lines of okay this is it for tony i'm not so sure how much i believe in that oh i think he has a chance to come back and you got to remember like his his four losses yes. including yes. including the one that he lost on that night yeah, it's against the best of the best of his division. I am stoked you know? that you're saying that, Edmund. I'm stoked you're saying that because that was literally a point that I was going to make is that when you look at this current losing streak, it's against the cream 
of the crop, the top of the division, Justin Gaethje, former interim champion and who fought in the main event, Charles Oliveira, who's unofficially the lightweight champion. We'll we'll get into that no, in a second. Not say. even unofficially. Uh, I mean, I've, if we're going by technicalities as far as the the UFC stripping of the belt and all that. But that's that's not the point right now. But there's Charles Oliveira. I don't need to say anything more. There's Benil Dariush, who's a contender and who's who's working his way up. And then you have Michael Chandler. I mean, I suppose if you really wanted to be, or if you really wanted to nitpick, you could say, okay, Benil was the only one of those that wasn't against an elite, elite fighter. But at the same time, that's that Benil Dariush is one of the top five lightweights. So all those losses were against top quality talent. Yeah. And just, I think he's back, you know, like to be that active and just fighting off your back like that and to be, to be so aggressive and to be pushing someone like Michael Chandler, who's a former Bellator champ. Yep. Multi-time like, Bellator world champ. Yeah. No, no normal human being can do that. And no, no guy who's like, who doesn't want to win that bad can do that. Yeah. I, I think he's back. He, he wants to win. He wants to fight. And it just, it just, he's going to improve. That's, well, I, that's all I can see. Well, I mean, like the question is though, like where does Tony Ferguson go from here? Because he is 38 though. I mean, that's why I'm saying I'm not, uh, this, this is why I'm sort of making a point because Tony Ferguson fought so well, I'm not ready to close the door on him, but I just don't know what exactly his upside may be because of his age and the fact that he needs to take time off from this knockout loss and such. So I'm not, I'm not like, I guess the best way I can put it is that I'm open to see what's next for Tony Ferguson, but I just don't know what will happen. I think the age thing is kind of relative to how so going back to shogun shogun and osp they're around the same age but the fact that shogun has had 20 years of fighting experience makes him look older than someone like osp mm -hmm. i still think tony ferguson probably has a couple more years left in his career okay like where he can still be pretty damn competitive it's interesting that you're that's saying just my opinion. Just just after seeing him that night against Chandler, I don't know. I mean, it's he, honestly he, he it's, it's fresh. Honestly, it's a good reflection on both of their parts because when you think about it, that fight was pretty competitive. I mean, the the front kick is what people remember about that fight or what people are focusing on. But honestly, when you look at it. The fact that Tony was able to perform well, Michael Chandler responded well, and that they had the skill set to make it a competitive fight, that is a good reflection on both of their parts. And seeing the kinds of skills that they have or what they've accomplished, what they've done in their careers, it's no surprise right there, honestly. And and it's, it's interesting that you're saying all this stuff because it kind of makes me wonder, is Tony Ferguson going to be one of those guys who's in his late 30s, early 40s, like Fabricio Verdum or Randy Couture, where even though he's in that age, he's still performing at a high level and he's not like a BJ Penn or Tyron Woodley who reached their late 30s, early 40s? I think so. I mean, again, like the training, the, 
the training science for fighters has advanced a lot too. A yeah. lot of people are training a lot smarter than fighters of the last decade. Yeah. So a lot of fighters are just having longer careers or they can fight a little bit older because they're training a lot smarter. They're not putting all the damage to their body. Yeah. I think Ferguson can recover. Like that was a hard, hard kick. He'll probably yeah. and that's why I'm saying he needs to take time off from yeah, that yeah. because it was like, a knockout and all that stuff. I could see him fighting next year already. Started next year. I could see him in a in a competitive bout with I don't know. I I mean it's if, hard to say who's gonna be at the who's gonna be I guess around or who's gonna be at the same level as Tony or who's going to be available and all that stuff a year from now. I mean, I, I guess if Oliveira gets his rematch, whoever loses that will fight Chandler or just fight Ferguson right there, you know? Yeah. So I could I probably see him fighting like the loser of the rematch between Gaethje and Oliveira. I could see that next yeah. year. I could totally see that. I, I, I kind of dug Michael Chandler's call out that he did after that. Like, not so much. I mean, it's just like the way that he said it. It was the way he delivered everything and how he was saying it. It got me pumped up, to be honest, whether he was calling out Gaethje or Oliveira or Connor and all that stuff. It's just, I don't know. There was something about his call out that I enjoyed. I, I'm not sure exactly what it was. I think it's. I like Michael Chandler. Like he, he's willing to challenge himself. Yeah, that's what it seems like. And but you it didn't seems feel like... you didn't feel pumped up when he was doing that promo or what have you. I mean, oh. <laughs> for McGregor. <laughs> I mean, no, but just the whole package, not just about him trying to call out yeah. Connor. Just the whole. But package. it's like all those guys are the cream of the crop, the top of the top. You know, like, who else is he gonna call out? You know, that makes sense. I guess, yeah, who else is he going to call out? I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know. I liked it. I'm, I'm not, I, I think it's just the attitude and the energy that he had transferred over to me. I'm like, damn. Okay, so we finally reached this point in the episode. The strawweight title fight. Oh. Which, I want to go back to something real quick, Edmund. I mentioned when we were talking about OSP versus Shogun Hua that the priority of a fighter is to win. That is priority number one over trying to entertain the crowd. So for me as a longtime MMA fan and understanding what these fighters go through, that's something that I take into consideration. So when it comes to how entertaining fights are, I'm a little more forgiving than the casual or the 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 standard fan the average fan or whatever it is but even by my standards that was pretty uneventful fight yeah it's it's one of those it's literally one of those things where i'm just like you know fighters they they're not meant to entertain they're trying to win and then i see the carla rose fight and i'm just kind of like yeah but that was pretty boring <laughs> i don't know it's... i don't know to go from knocking out Zhang Wei Li the first time around and then just beat
beating her the second time to just this. I'm like, come on, what happened? I mean, uh, here, you know, a little bit of an interesting fact for me is that as far as my experience watching this fight, so I don't know if you know this, Edmund, but right when the Rose Carla fight was happening, that's when the Canelo Bevel fight was happening. They were on at the same time. And because I'm trying to post during these events on our social media, I can't pay too much attention to either one of those fights because they're going on at the same time. So I only at best half paid attention to Rose and Carla, and I'm hearing how the commentators are talking about it. And then later on, I'm just like, well, from the sounds of things, it seems like I'm not missing much. So oh, you didn't you didn't miss much. So I, to, I caught so, a highlight and I, I actually <laughs> I, and then I found like the full fight and I just I literally I, I played that thing on like two times speed and it was still. See, not. that's why I'm saying that's why I'm saying the OSP Shogun fight had more action, I think, than this one, because yeah. when you really when you really look at this Carlo Rose fight, there were long periods of time where they were just walking or just circling each other and all that stuff and and fucking like it, it was it's, like it's, what's funny what, sorry sorry what <laughs> it was like a season of dragon ball z you know that's <laughs> like, like just long filler of no nothing i happening i, I like, I get I that. Mean, that's no, a no, joke, no. of course. But, you know, like... Yeah, on. yeah, I get that. I get that. But what's interesting is that because I couldn't really pay too much attention to the fight in real time to prepare for for this episode, I watched the fight online. I find a website where I can do where I can watch it. I saw the first three or four rounds of that fight, and then I had to go to an appointment. And when I came back, I wanted to finish it up. The videos weren't working. And I'm just like, I wonder if that's a sign... Of them trying to tell me, yeah, don't watch this fight. I mean, the UFC <laughs> just wants their money. But no, I mean, I know, but, but I just, yeah. I just find it funny because it's like the other fight, the other videos for these fights work, but not that one, not Rose Carla. Which, You're not missing anything. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, th that's the thing. I'm not missing much apparently, but I just thought it was kind of funny how it's like the MMA gods. They're saying, don't watch this fight, but I'm watching it anyway, and then finally. To, to get me to stop because it's not anything worth watching. They just mess up the, the video for it. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my take on it. Like, if, if going to, like, a sparring night at your local gym has more action than an actual championship fight, I don't know what the champs are doing. You don't know what the what? I don't know what the champs are doing, you know? Oh, like, okay, okay. If, like, a sparring night at my gym has more action than whatever happened there. Yeah. And uh, here, here's my controversial take. If I had to point fingers, I'd say it was Rose's fault. Mm. She was okay. just not engaging. Carla tried, you know, but I, I, I think there was, like, a small element of fear in her mind because this girl just beat Zhang Weili and she just knocked out Zhang Weili once before. It's like, geez, I'm going to play it safe when I'm coming into there. And then you Who, have uh, Rose Carla, just, you mean? Yeah, Carla. And then you have Rose just not engaging at all. I don't which, know. Which, which is, I find it interesting that you're saying that because 
I mean, I don't know. I guess I would have to watch the fight a little more closely to sort of confirm this opinion. But when I was watching the fight back, I sort of felt like perhaps judges gave Carla rounds because maybe she did a little bit more in those fights to try to go off what you're saying. Like, yeah. there were there were some rounds where, for instance, not much happened, but Carla went in for a takedown at least, or at least attempted a takedown, and that was the only significant thing. So there, right. there's things, okay, attempt. we'll give it to Carla. What, yeah, that, that's an attempt. I, I guess more I, significant than I guess anything to, else in that fight. Like, I guess to add on to what you're saying is that I guess I'm sort of agreeing with you in that I feel like Carla Esparza did a little bit more in that fight than Rose did, and that's why they gave it to her. But for all that, the fight was still uneventful. I mean... Very. And for, like, the championship, too, I don't know. I, I just... You'd think there'd be more on the line for these guys, right? But mm -hmm. I guess not. The speculation that people were having with Rose, for instance, was that she lost to Carla the first time. So is that perhaps a mental block for her where it's like, okay, I don't want to be reckless and rush and get taken down and all that stuff. So I have to take a different approach. Yeah. And now she lost to Carla a second time with that approach. I, You can't play it safe like that. Hmm interesting that's, I, I that's, that's, that's an that's an interesting i don't even know if it, she didn't play it safe she didn't play it safe when she fought Zhang Wei Li. i'd be more scared of Zhang Wei Li than i would be of carlos esparza you know like because of like the striking or what the striking the power like she had a war Zhang Wei Li had a war with joanna young jacek thank you yeah where where she made they they both got like destroyed. Like looking at their faces after that fight was like holy crap. They yeah. Both put in a hundred and twenty percent into that fight, and then Rose comes in and head first kicks Zhang Weili in the face and knocks her out in their first encounter, and then beats her the second time. You're telling me that same person is scared of engaging with. Carlos Sparza because she might get taken down. I mean, you know, like, I I mean I don't know for certain. I mean, this is just things. I, I'm that just were, saying, the, like, these if were that was that the theory, was I'm just saying, if that was the theory, she really needs a lot of help in like the mentality department. Mm -hmm. And I get it, the pressure's on and all that because you're champ, but still, in terms of like fearsome opponents. I feel like Rose has fought scarier people and have come out on top. And I don't know what it is for this one. She just didn't want to engage at all, which is just really, really disappointing. Is there anything that could be said that perhaps because of the history that Rose and Carla had, where Carla won the first time, Rose is thinking, I need to take a very strategic approach. Like, is there anything that could but be said about that? that? Didn't work. What was her strategy then? <laughs> i mean i i'm not sure i don't have the answers to i i think she she literally looked like a deer in headlights she looked like someone who was new to sparring i get a lot from like guys who are new and who aren't like who aren't natural fighters you know which is fine you know you want to do the sport for fun great 
And a lot of the time, they're just really passive like that. Like they sit back, they kind of just wait for the perfect moment to try to do something. But you're, you're never going to have a perfect moment. You have to be aggressive. You have to engage. Like that's fighting. You can't just run. Yeah. I, I don't know. That may have just been, I don't know. That was just kind of a very, a very odd performance. And I mean, it's funny that remember last week i was saying to you that i feel like one of these predictions are going to be wrong and how i mentioned that there's no way that all of the predictions that we made before ufc 274 are gonna come to fruition i would have never expected the strawweight title fight to go the way of Carlos Esparza. That, like, as far as the predictions that may have been wrong, that was the last one I would have expected. I mean, the last one I would have expected was Shogun winning, to be fair, but... Oh, really? I, I just, I didn't feel... I was more surprised that this was just so non-competitive for 30 minutes. It's definitely not going to be in any conversations for fight of the year when that time no. comes. If they had like the Razzies, like the worst fight of the year for MMA, this this might be the top tier of the list for that. Like the worst fight of the year, probably where nothing happened, where you got like the commentators joking about it. Like, yeah. Yeah, but I was right. One of our predictions were wrong, but it's just not the fight that I was expecting. I mean, I, you know, it's funny talking about this Rose Carla fight. I mean, we've done a good job talking about it, but there's sort of a part of me going into this episode, Edmund, where I was sort of thinking, are we just going to be like, then there was Carla Esparza beating Rose Nama Yunus. All right, moving on. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> I mean, what else can I say, man? Yeah, I mean, that, 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 I mean, now at this point, it's like, what else is there to talk about with that? I just thought it'd be funny if we just mentioned that and then we move on immediately. But... In any event, then we had the, the well, I can't even say the lightweight title fight. Well, we had the lightweight title fight for Justin Gaethje. We had the main event, which obviously that has a lot of stories in and of itself where there was a mistake or a problem with the scale and Charles Oliveira came in overweight by half a pound. And was it the scale though? I mean, I mean Charles Oliveira has had problems cutting weight before well know? yeah but if, unless i'm mistaken those were at featherweight and i mean he's made the lightweight limit before he's made lightweight before what i don't know i'm just like i feel like it would be a cop-out to blame the scale unless there's like proof that it was the scale but I mean, I, I mean, I'm just saying that, like, there's a lot of different, like, factors we're thinking about. And, you know, for instance, when I first heard that Charles Oliveira missed weight, one of the things I was thinking was, you know, we don't know the circumstances in a fighter's right. camp that may inhibit their weight cut. Maybe Charles Oliveira was dealing with some kind of injury, so he couldn't do as much cardio or do as many exercises as he would normally would to cut the weight. I was trying to give him some benefit of the doubt because I'm trying to have that level of understanding, which is kind of funny. That's kind of been the theme of this episode, having understanding of the difficulty that fighters go through, but also 
the other factors when you think Charles Oliveira, he's made lightweight before, and also literally half a pound. We're literally talking about half a pound he came over by, which sort of leads into this. Well, before I get into this thought that it sort of transitions to, do you have anything to say yet, Edmund? I was listening to a podcast with GSP, and they told him that Oliveira missed weight on that podcast. And GSP himself had no sympathy. He was like, well, he's a professional. He's the champ. It sucks, but that's on him. But I mean, like, the, the thing is, is that he didn't miss weight by that much. Yeah, but he, I mean... Like, to sort of, like, heavily criticize Charles, it's not like he came in that much overweight. It's half a pound. But we're dealing in a sport where a lot of stuff is really subjective. And the weight is probably the most one of the most objective things you can control in the sport. I I think it matters. Considering, but, I mean, but do you do you really think that Charles Oliveira won that fight because he was a half a pound heavier no, than Justin no, Gaethje? No, but but we have to remember the other guys working just as hard to get half a pound under you know to be on weight. It's it's unfair if you let him slip for like half a pound up. I, I agree it sucks because Oliveira basically lost so much money. I, I don't know how much, but it could be from the tens of thousands. And some people are saying up to like a million to two million dollars just because he was half a pound over. Which which sort of leads into this question that I've had where, for instance, for if if someone's listening to this episode who isn't aware when fighters weigh in for a fight if it's a non-title fight then they have a one pound allowance so if this if charles Oliveira and justin gaethje weren't fighting for a title they'd be able to weigh in at 156 when the weight limit is 155 and that would be fine but in a title fight you have to be 155 which is the weight limit for lightweight you have to be 155 on the dot and the thing that i never understood is that or I guess the thing I don't understand is that why is there that one pound allowance for non-title fights, but not when there's a title on the line? You'd probably like, have to ask the commissioner or the UFC. Like that doesn't that doesn't make sense to me. Where is it just because okay, on paper we're saying this is a title fight and it's at this weight, so for documentation, the guy has to be 155. It can't be 155.2. You have to be 155. And I mean, I, I don't know. Or at the very least, this is something I'm thinking about. At the very least, give a little bit of a weight allowance to the championship fight. Because it's because there was another instance where Yoel Romero, he weighed in at 185.2 for his middleweight title fight, where the lim limit is 185. And it's just, why is there not even at least a half a pound allowance? I don't know. I, I really don't know. Because, I mean, like... I, I, I agree to you to an extent, though. Like, if there's an allowance for non-title fights... I feel like it should be fair for the champion fights like, and because... vice versa. Honestly, to me, 
I don't even think there should be an allowance. I, I'm trying to think like but I mean, jujitsu. Like, if you don't make weight, you don't make weight, and they just bump you up to the next weight class. Yeah, but I mean, like, I guess in in MMA, I'm sort of thinking that I think about it in the along the lines of okay, if you have if you weigh in at for instance one fifty five point zero one or whatever, like they're really gonna dock you for that, and just I don't know if it's I don't know. It seems kind of difficult to have it be that on the dot. You know, 185.0. I mean, people have done it. <laughs> no, I mean, I know people have done it, but I just I just feel like, you know, you just give a little bit of an allowance because like, okay, if somebody's 185.1, then okay, that's fine. For a championship fight or Yeah, for a championship fight. I don't know. Like, I, I guess I'm sort of thinking of it along the lines of, okay, if you're not in this particular instance, 155 I guess, exactly. Like, you should, here's my, you, you should hold the champions and people who are vying for the championship to a higher standard. Maybe that's the idea. Mm -hmm. But I, I really don't know. I mean, I to don't know me, if it's like a moral thing or if it's like, okay. For, I don't think it's a moral to, thing. For, for on paper, it's got to be like, okay, this title is at what? Yeah, well, for a division that that where the limit is 155 pounds, so that's what you have to be. I just guess maybe to avoid controversy, just because there's so much on a line for a title fight, you don't even want people to go back on that. Well, he was allowed that extra half a pound, and that's why this he is got... bullshit, dude. Like honestly, but here's the thing, think, man. If you here's think the Charles thing. won because he weighed half a pound heavier than Justin Gaethje, no, that was not it. That but that was not some make monsters who cut weight like crazy and can gain it all back really fast. Like Justin Gaethje was already tweeting he gained back like 10, 15 pounds while they're still waiting to weigh Charles Oliveira. So I don't know. Like I, just, I, I get just... it. My my thing with the weight thing. I feel like people I just, should like weigh in before they fight. That way it's way more fair than all the weight cutting tactics people use. And A, it's not healthy just cutting weight like that. And B, you're definitely fighting someone who is like similar size to you if you do that. But, you know, I don't. It, it's part of the fight culture now. Yeah, well, it's kind of hard to change things now that they've been established and they're institutionalized and all that stuff and i find your weight cut thing interesting we don't have time to get into that but i find it interesting because you're talking about literally fighters weighing in before they step in the octagon yeah i mean dude uh, interesting for jujitsu that's how it was and i liked it like that mm -hmm. i could be more at my natural weight i wasn't starving myself before a competition i was okay i'm gonna eat i'm gonna be just how i normally am because i would be at my natural 165 weight mm -hmm. at the time i'm I'm heavier now but <laughs> yeah i mean i i don't know i think giving like a half pound allowance is reasonable you know i can see how someone yeah, but then I, 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 I guess the argument is where does that stop I mean, uh, like a pound, half pound, two pounds. No, like... well, no. Here's the thing: for a title fight, it's like okay. For non-title fights, they have that pound allowance. I don't think it should be any more than that. With regards to a title fight, 
if you, for instance, we take your argument of setting a different standard or having some room for error there, I can see how maybe you don't want to allow, like, for instance, as long as you're 185 to 185.9, then it's fine because it's like that's practically a one pound allowance. But if you wanted to do a little less than that, it's like 0.5. So then that way, if you're like 185.1, it's like we're not going to hold it against you, I suppose. I don't know, man. Or, here's, or my, here, here's my take. The sport is so subjective. The only things that are like objective on paper is that weight. If both fighters made weight, great. We're in the clear there. If one fighter doesn't make weight, I feel like it's fair because that's part of the job. That's part of the... That, that's your job as a fighter is to make weight. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the... It's probably the only objective variable that you can control because how are judges going to score a fight? Like what, what, what's the difference between like a 10, nine round or a 10, eight round. And what's the difference between a 10, eight and a 10, seven round, you know, like those I mean, are so much more subjective and loose than I, I guess the one thing everybody can agree on is if a guy made weight or not before a fight. You I mean, know I, I, mean? I like, do, I mean, I do understand the point that you're making. It's just, I guess I'm sort of thinking that maybe there should be like a little bit more added to that. Like not like a pound allowance, because I think if you're in that 0.5 range, would that make that much of a difference? Like if you're between one in this particular case, 155 to 155.5, is it that much of a difference maker? I think it depends because maybe that 0.5 pounds was the difference between him not being able to stand on the scale and him actually being able to barely make it up on that scale just to weigh in so he can gain 20 pounds that night so he could be heavier and fight the next day. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I feel like it matters because it's a hard objective number. These guys are doing very, I mean, not everybody, but people tend to do very unhealthy things for a weight cut so they can make weight on a scale, be it not drinking water, dehydrating themselves, staying in a sauna so they sweat out all the extra water weight. Like, that's not healthy. Mm -hmm. It isn't. So for the health and fairness of the fighter, I feel like, you need to make weight. If you can't physically stand up and make it to weigh in at that weight, you shouldn't be fighting at that weight. But if that it, half a pound, and it, it could be anything. It could be because it could be something as dumb as he forgot to take a dump that morning or something. You know, sorry, sorry to go there, but like I mean, I I read a book one time that talked about that's how yeah. MMA fighters they'll the that's how that's one tactic to make weight. They'll like take a little yeah. bit of laxative. But it's like if that was the difference, or in order for him to make to actually make weight, he had to take too much laxatives, and that would have impaired his performance in the fight the next day. I don't I I feel like it's fair because it's kind of for the safety of the fighters. A the guy who's, you know, the other guy 
so you're not like significantly heavier than the other guy and b also for the guy who's cutting weight so you don't do anything too drastic or crazy where you're just harming your health yeah i mean is it is can it be said that perhaps if you had a certain limit on that allowance like for instance if you only had a 0.3 allowance would that limit the difference maker that weight cutting may be i don't i don't think so i i because everyone like different. like for instance if you only allowed a 0.3 allowance over the limit then would that help limit the kinds of problems that someone who's able know. to regain a lot of weight could do i don't know but then that brings up the can of worms is like what's the difference between 0.3 or 0.5 why don't you just make the weight that the fight's set at and not have this be an maybe my because he practically this, like, did he practically i know did. but it's like my my take on this is like dude who's 0.5 over it really sucks that he just basically lost a bunch of money like that but that's his job you know as a professional i don't know it, it just it sucks but that's his job no i mean i get it i guess like i don't know i just i i don't know i guess i'm sort of of the opinion that sh there should be just some wiggle room right there or just but then it's like how much wiggle room is fair like i said a pound or half a pound or a third of a pound like for some people, that extra limit could be the difference between having enough energy to perform pretty well the next day or not. Like, I'll go to McGregor. He was great as a featherweight, but I feel like he definitely moved a lot better as a lightweight. Mm -hmm. I mean, I will admit, Edmund, I will admit you are making a good point as far as why it has to be 155 on the dot i mean i feel like i could maybe do a better job arguing my point i just i'm not really able to right now but i do want to give props and say that's an interesting perspective that i hadn't considered before yeah i i don't know maybe i'm just thinking back to like when i competed it, it just people are doing really unhealthy things to try to just lose that weight and make it mm -hmm. and it's like part of it is for the health of the fighter who is actually cutting weight because it's just it's not a healthy thing to do to lose a bunch of weight all at once and then to gain it back i tell my clients this too like that's not healthy you want a gradual weight loss or a gradual weight gain but either way like losing and gaining like close to 20 pounds for most of these fighters within a 24 hour period is not a is not healthy you know no but i mean like wouldn't that be said that if you allowed a little bit more of allowance outside of the limits then that would help them not cut as much weight yeah but then you're you're having probably like heavier fighters who are gonna use that wiggle room oh just... i see i see and I don't know. It, it just fair is fair, and fair is just hitting that weight limit. To me, I you mean, know, if there if there is some in a jujitsu competition, like they just bump you up to the next weight class. At least the ones I've been to. Mm -hmm. If you're over, they're like, "Well, you're gonna be in the next weight class up." Then sorry, dude. That's how it is. 
you know, so we, we, <laughs> I don't see why it should be different in the professional setting, especially when there's careers on the line of a lot of different people and not just the fighter, like their entire team and their support staff and all that. Like there's a lot on the line. Like I get it. It sucks, but that's, that's part of the job mm-hmm. not to be like callous or anything, but people expect a certain level of performance from me when I do my job as a trainer. And if I don't deliver, yeah, people have a right to complain. People have a right to find a new trainer. So same thing here. Like as it's interesting. Our, 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 our worldviews are sort of influencing our takes on this. I don't know that that's just the way I see it. I don't mean to be like callous or, yeah no i understand i understand yeah that's that's their job i i it's like i don't know i guess i guess like i guess it sort of like comes down to for me for instance taking the 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 aspect of human error or just allowing some room for error i mean obviously you don't want to allow too much of it but i don't know maybe that's just like the worldview that i have but it, I, like the the argument becomes how much allowance is allowed, so plus or minus one or like a one pound overage is okay. Then why not two? It's like how much is too much weight, mm-hmm. and then it kind of gets into why boxing has so many weight classes now is because well, I can't make one sixty. I'll just go to one sixty seven or something like. Yeah. Oh, I'll I mean, just be I, a champ of like this weight class where the difference is just seven pounds. Like what? Where? Yeah, I don't want to see MMA be like that. So I think it's fair. Hit one fifty-five, or we've done you know. so much talking about the weight issues that we haven't even like talked about the actual fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I almost hate that this whole weight cutting thing or this the this weighing in issue. It's a thing because it takes away from us talking about the actual fight. That's I don't know. It's just, I don't it's, see it as too much. Of, like I just see it as he messed up. That's his bad, and he'll get a rematch to get his belt back. I mean, I still stand by my claim that that half a pound was not that much of a difference maker in no. the fight, and the reason Charles Oliveira won that bout with Justin Gaethje is because like we've been talking about in our evolution of MMA series that we did, Charles has become a well-rounded, skilled fighter because he's one of those guys where, and I don't know, I guess this is kind of interesting for me is that when I saw the fight the first time, I thought the times Justin Gaethje knocked Charles down, he didn't go to the ground with him because he thought, okay, I've heard him, let him stand up so then I can hit him some more. But then when I watched it again, I thought to myself, maybe it was he didn't follow him to the ground because he knew Charles was a threat there and he could submit him. He Basically, Charles can submit Justin off his back, so that's why he didn't follow him. And the fact that Charles was able to knock down Justin, all those things just play into the, the challenge of fighting Charles Oliveira because when you fight him, Okay, even if I knock him down, he has great jujitsu, so I need to be wary for that. And when he did knock Justin Gaethje down, he did the opposite and followed him and went after those submissions. When we yeah. talk when we talk about well-rounded fighters, 
Charles is becoming the guy who epitomizes that. I mean, here's the thing. I agree with you on Gaethje's game plan to keep the fight standing. Because I think he knows, okay, Oliveira is just so great on the ground. My strength is on the stand-up game. I'm going to keep it standing. I agree with you there. I think well-rounded, I still think Oliveira can improve his striking a little bit. But the thing I have to say is Oliveira had heart to stand up from the hard shots that Gaethje threw at him. You like, can't he got deny knocked down. He got knocked down, and then he stood up again, right? There's that. And two, I think Oliveira still has a lot of room to improve on the striking department. But what I saw him doing was he was fighting braver and smarter than Gaethje. Mm-hmm. So, so I, did that fight play out the way that you expected it as far as how Charles would win? I expected him to rely more on just the grappling and trying to like press Gaethje up against the cage. Yeah. To get the takedown. I didn't expect him to just go and brave and work the inside like he did. Because he was kind of shooting in with shorter strikes on the inside. That's that's how he knocked Gaethje down. Yeah. I was expecting him to shoot in for a clinch and then try to press him against the fence to get the takedown that way mm -hmm. instead of striking on the inside. Yeah. Which, to do that against someone like Gaethje, who A, swings and hits hard, and B, is pretty technical himself in that mid-range, wow. That's some bravery. And to have that fail because he got knocked down but still do it anyways and succeed dude you uh, like you really he, he's gonna be a monster dude you really can't deny charles Oliveira anymore dude when that fight was over i myself was feeling so pumped up my reaction to that based on the adversity he had to face the fact that he keeps getting knocked down comes back up he's rounded out his striking to to have that be an asset and then he ended up winning the fight it's just my reaction to that was like charles motherfucking Oliveira. you cannot doubt this guy anymore and it's like this guy is the real deal yeah i mean I, he's, I totally he's gotten he's gotten so good and i mean i'm a little i'm i find it interesting that you're saying he could still improve on his striking and maybe it's fair that, yeah, there is still stuff he could improve on when it comes to his striking. But, I mean, he's not just... I guess when I say he's become well-rounded, he's not just a jiu-jitsu practitioner anymore. Those days are long gone. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's still deadly there. But I think for his striking, like, I feel like it's still overlooked. And he's still... Here's the thing. He... Because, like... I, 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 I feel I, like... I feel like he formulates a striking game plan before the fight. And I want to see him in a position where, at least in the striking environment, it doesn't go his way and he can still strike his way out. So is that like, is, reaches... is that, 
so just really quick is that your criticism of Oliveira in that department yeah I think so like he's playing it smart which is great mm -hmm. but I want to see him in a striking war where he is the more dominant striker against another striker and he is getting the better of the exchanges after something doesn't go his way so you know? so like, so would it be fair to say that your assessment is that you think he strategizes well and he does have good striking but he could work on for instance being more adaptable in the moment or being a better no, in no, no, the no. moment striker my my take is he's good he's really good now and he has the potential to be even better. Okay. He's still kind of on the, in like the beginning stages of getting really, really good striking. I feel like you give him a couple more years, he's still going to keep getting better and better and better. Okay. Okay. Cause I was a little confused because I thought maybe you were saying that Charles Oliveira is not actually well-rounded, but I guess the, the thing that you're trying to say is that there's still a lot more improvement and Charles can get even better, even though he's made all the progress he's made. Yeah. I guess he can get even more well-rounded. He'll get even rounder. I, I don't know. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I, this is like a time, I guess like just, as more fights build up and we see the kind of adversity Charles has to overcome and the names that he has wins over, it's sort of getting to a point where maybe you're going to have to start considering where you would put Charles Oliveira as far as the best lightweights or just how you would assess his skills. And just does he have the ability to become one of those legendary fighters that are often in the top 10 of greatest ever? That's because he's it's starting to pile up. I mean, Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson. It's like, and all this is part of his 11-fight win streak. Yeah, I, I could totally see it. I, I still see him getting even better. And he's still, he's at that age where he's, re I don't know if he's at the peak yet, but I feel like he's reaching it. He He's like probably in the beginning part of like the peak of his career. Yeah, that may very well be the case. I mean, he is 32, so he might still have a few more good prime years. Yeah, I, I think he's at the right age, and he's adapting well to his to the circumstances of his career and his opponents, and he's just getting better with it. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, come on. A rear naked choke like that off of knocking... I mean, let's let's talk about the submission. He knocked him down jumped on him and then just sank in the submission like so fast oh yeah dude as soon as like for instance when they went to the ground there was a moment where for a second i thought charles was throwing a 12 to 6 elbow on justin's head which is a thing that's not allowed i mean i, I don't know if maybe i just missed saw that like do, do you know what i'm talking about kind of i mean he was work he was trying to work an arm bar i'm trying to remember if he really threw no i I don't know. It, it didn't look like a 12 to 6 elbow. I mean, maybe even he was hitting he did, like the side of the body. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, even to get like control of someone that fast. And I, I, I think Gaethje has the chin to take a shot like that. You know, he wasn't he wasn't totally out. Mm -hmm. Like he got rocked a little bit, but I think he has the chin to like stand up and fight from that. But the fact that 
Oliveira immediately jumped on him and established full control that fast. For a second, yeah. I thought for a second I thought he was gonna get an inverted triangle. I was getting excited. Dude, it looked thinking... like an arm bar. It looked like a triangle to an arm bar to boom, rear naked choke like that. It was And that's just because, you know, his jujitsu has always been top notch. So that's like why for me i'm sort of making the claim or why i'm trying to make the claim that charles Oliveira is the total package because he's the type of guy that he knocks you down and he can get you standing up as we've seen in his recent fights and then obviously yeah he's able to get you on the ground to the point where when he was on justin's back and had the hands around justin's neck i knew it was over it was just My, like it was just a matter of time Imagine if Oliveira's striking was at the same level as his jiu-jitsu, where he just totally shut you down and you couldn't do anything. That like, is an interesting point. That. that is an interesting I, I, point. I feel like he has the potential to get up there. You know, that, that was like going off the point I made earlier. I think Charles Oliveira has that potential. It's going to take a little bit of time and probably the, like the right motivation, the right opponents. But I think he can reach the level where he just he can shut you down standing up. He can shut you down on the ground. Which and... is which is interesting that you're making that point because in his fights with Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier, and Justin Gaethje, he did struggle a little bit or had to. Uh, they, they got the better of him a little bit as far as striking goes. So it makes sense what you're saying as far as imagine if – now I understand. I get it now what you mean, Edmund, as far as having his striking so good to the point where if if it was at that high level in this bout against Justin Gaethje, Justin Gaethje couldn't even get going. That would be... And then it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. And it's like, when we think about Justin Gaethje, he has become more of a methodical fighter, yes, but he doesn't... I guess he kind of... He's not quite as well-rounded as Charles Oliveira is. Because he doesn't utilize the ground aspect as much. And it's like if if Charles's striking was at that high level, like you're saying, imagine Justin, he's thinking, oh shit, my striking is not going to plan. I can't compete with this guy in the grappling department. What the hell am I going to do? Yeah. I think if he reaches that level, he that's like, that's like the Anderson Silva aura that he's going to have around him. Oh, that's, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And I think he has the potential to do that just because Anderson Silva was just people didn't want to engage with him standing up. And then he was good on the ground too. Like mm -hmm. he was just so dominant during his prime. And I, I see Oliveira being able to become that just because he's getting to me, he's getting better and better with each fight. You know what I mean? Oh like, yeah, absolutely, man. And like, it's just, he's, I mean, it's, it's sort of unexpected. I never would have expected Charles Oliveira to be in this sort of discussion, but he's really turned it around. And like I said, I was so pumped up for him after that fight was over. And I was really happy because I felt like he was getting a lot of unnecessary, excessive hate. And then when he won, it was almost like he rubbed it in their face or just shut that crowd up with that sort of performance and with that type of victory. It's like, yeah, I'm the champ. What are you guys going to say now? not the champ that's well in his eyes i mean is. the rematch here's the thing it, clearly they're going to do an immediate rematch just well, because i'm not so sure if oh wait guy... no they would they would have done it if he lost but 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not so sure if they're going to go with Justin Gaethje next. I mean, no, the, one yeah. thing, the one thing that I was worried about with this whole vacant title thing, like one of the things why I hated it so much was because I thought there was going to be some type of BS where they're going to try to find some way to throw Conor McGregor in that mix, which to me would be total BS and just completely unwarranted. Like, that's the thing that I'm worried about. I don't even think McGregor would want to come back for a lightweight fight. He's much heavier now, judging from like the few pictures I've seen where he's just bulked up a lot. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess like I guess the point I'm trying to make is that whatever fight they want to put Charles Oliveira in next, as long as it's not Connor, then I'm not gonna have a problem with it. I'm just I agree with it's that. It's like one of those things where it's like, okay what's connor's return fight gonna be uh, as honestly as long as it's not for the title i i don't i, I don't really have much preference <laughs> yeah but that was an emphatic statement made by charles Oliveira. i mean there's just it was one of those times where i myself as a fan as a viewer got so invigorated or pumped up for that i i, I don't know it just and maybe it's because i saw all the crap that he was getting and then it's like yeah I won the bout despite all that, or just like see that half pound. That's not the difference maker here. I don't think everyone, anyone was saying that was the difference maker. Eh, eh, you'd from, be surprised. From what I've seen, at least the people, it, it's just a shame. Like that's like, that's probably like the worst way to lose out on so much money. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, yeah, I did say that's his job, and I don't really feel too bad, but it does suck, man. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, hopefully they they re well, hopefully they they compensate him appropriately, and you know, hopefully, it's just a well. From what I heard, like, yeah, he has to give up like anywhere from twenty to thirty percent of his fight purse, mm -hmm. and then he loses out on whatever perks he gets as a champion per his contract so they're saying he would be missing out on a lot of money if his contract allowed him to get a portion of the pay-per-view buys you yeah. know so like just to ha lose out on that really sucks but i'm confident he'll bounce back and become champ again oh and yeah me too i think this is just a really big inconvenient blip on the radar of his yeah career. like a setback and he's gonna get the you know he's gonna get back on track because like once he's actually able to make weight and win the belt he'll have all those earnings again yeah so great performance by him it sucks he didn't make weight but yeah i i think in the grand scheme of things i totally see him being like one of the best pound for pound fighters probably one of the greatest of all time which is the yeah. thing that which is the thing that i was saying earlier is that we have to start asking that question or he that's conversation is starting to happen as far as can charles Oliveira be one of those guys and we'll only officially know once his career is all said and done but you know you gotta you gotta at least uh pose that question and at least see that as a possibility yeah i'm 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 a big fan of charles Oliveira's skills i'll just you know, yeah. to put it simply, I'm a big fan of his what he is capable of, what his skill set is, and how he's been able to improve. Legit guy right there. Okay. So, yeah, that takes care of our UFC 274 reactions.
What did you guys think about the fights? Did you have opinions that you wanted to share? If you do, you can let us know on Instagram. Our username is at Unified Rules Podcast. Our username on Twitter is at Unified Rules PO1. If you have any questions or inquiries, you can email us at Unified Rules Podcast at gmail.com. Take care, everybody. Have a good day.